What up, world? Welcome to another week and another episode here on the RJO Show. And here on the RJO Show, we talk about the National Football League every single week, like I said. Whatever's going on, whether that's with this team, that team, your team, my team, we talk about it all. I talk about the Dallas Cowboys every day at InsideTheStar.com, who presents this show to you along with uh, Cowboys Nation and Slant Sports Digital Media. So there is a lot going on. I hope you've had a great weekend and a great start to your week. The Game of Thrones season finale was incredible, and that's something that I'm going to get into a little bit later. This episode's kind of special. Um, our guest today is Chris Brockman, one of the producers for The Rich Eisen Show. Uh, the Rich Eisen Podcast was the first podcast that I ever listened to, and so I'm really excited to have Chris on today's show. And he was so cool. We had such a great conversation, and it went so long that we actually are going to break it up into two episodes this week on the RJO Show. So this is part one of the Chris Brockman interview, and part two will post later this week for you. So be on the lookout for that. You can check it out, rjochoshow.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, SoundCloud, whatever your cup of tea is, we uh, we will deliver it to you with sugar and honey and whatever else you want inside of it. But before we get to the Brockman interview, there is a lot of news in the NFL, as there always is, and it's something that we've talked about, a theme we've hinted at here on the RJO Show, how no matter what's going on in the world of sports, the NFL is always king, and that's something that I really love, and there's a lot that's happened since we last spoke since last week, and uh, let's just you know let's get to it because we got a lot to cover before we get to the Brockman interview, which I know you're going to enjoy. If you want to talk about Game of Thrones, you'll enjoy that, like I said, or you can hit me up on Twitter. So on Wednesday, June 29th, Andrew Luck, who is inarguably the finest, greatest, you know, most talented young quarterback in the National Football League, signed a new six-year deal. Now, before I tell you the the terms of this deal, you should know and you should already think that this is going to be the biggest contract in NFL history because the salary cap is ever-growing, the NFL is gaining more and more money, and Andrew Luck is a quarterback, he's young, he plays for an owner who's not afraid to write a big check, and it is indeed the biggest contract in NFL history. Andrew Luck, six-year deal worth $140 million, according to Colts owner Jim Ursay. It's $25 million per year in the first three years. Um, there is $87 million in guarantees. That is absurd. That is $22 million larger than the previously largest guarantee in NFL history, which was $65 million handed out to Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. $60 million is fully guaranteed by March of 2017. So in the next nine months, Andrew Luck will have at least $60 million to his name. This is a man who intentionally and willingly uses a flip phone in the year 2016. will have $60 million in nine months. He will have $81 million by March of 2018. And uh, the $87 million, which is fully guaranteed, will, will be in lock uh, by March of 2019. This deal keeps Andrew Luck under contract with the Indianapolis Colts through 2021. It really is a no-brainer decision. People are going to criticize this, and Andrew Luck has been prone to some turnovers, you know, at this point in his career, obviously missing a large portion of last season. And this is what it comes down to for me. Is Andrew Luck a franchise quarterback? You should have said yes out loud to that question. Is he better than, if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, Aaron Rodgers? Maybe. Is he better than Tony Romo if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan? Maybe. Is he better than Phillip Rivers or Eli Manning who had the largest guarantees? Maybe. Probably. I mean, you know, however you answered any of those questions, whether it was yes, no, probably, whatever, 
He is a franchise quarterback. This is the going rate for franchise quarterbacks. You have to pay somebody an enormous amount of money. You have to make him the largest paid player in NFL history. Look at a guy like J.J. Watt. He gets this enormous defensive contract, one of the biggest ones, no, excuse me, the biggest we'd ever seen for a defensive player. And then guess what Kong Su does, what his agents do? They say, okay, we want to beat that. We want our guy to be the largest paid player in NFL history or, you know, whatever the, the title is. That will happen. Teams will do it. Why? Because a quarterback is the most important person on a team's roster, and they will pay whatever it takes, and it's it's the going rate. So you can argue whether it's a good or a bad deal, as Pro Football Focus did um, earlier in the week. They had a good and, and bad quarterback contract article go out. It's not good or bad. It's what it is. If you want one of these guys, this is what you got to pay, and that's the, the truth of it. So congratulations to Andrew Luck. He is a very, very rich man. But uh, we're going to go back in time a little bit to uh, something that happened right after we spoke last week, and that is Johnny Manziel. He is still uh, still making news headlines and it was for a reason that actually was beyond his control. One of his lawyers, defense attorney Bob Hinton, accidentally sent a text to the wrong person. And, I mean, this is the year 2016. Surely this has happened to us at one point. Surely it's happened to you. You've accidentally, you've been meaning to text somebody this and sent it to someone else, you know, on accident. Hopefully it wasn't anything bad. This was very bad. Um, like I said, defensive attorney Bob Hinton, his text indicated that Johnny Manziel and his legal team were seeking a plea deal with prosecutors, um, but he said something that might prove that to be difficult. He said, quote, heaven help us if one of the conditions is to pee in a bottle, end quote. So obviously this was a really bad look for Johnny Manziel, and everybody you know, had an opinion on this, and Look, at this point, Johnny, God bless him. I hope uh, for his sake and his family's sakes and his loved one's sakes that he's able to get his life on track. Um, but his father, Paul Manziel, had some some really just sad words um, when he spoke to ESPN's Justina Anderson. Mr. Manziel said, quote, he's a druggie. It's not a secret that he's a druggie. I don't know what to say other than my son is a druggie and he needs help. He just hasn't sought it yet. Hopefully he doesn't die before he comes to his senses. That's about all you can say. I don't know what else to say. You have no idea and the system failed, Mr. Manziel said. I had him in rehab and he escaped and the doctors let him go. And that's a whole other story. So, I mean, I had him in rehab and the system failed. It didn't work. He has more money than me, so he can outrun me. Like I said, there are two things that are going to happen. He's either going to die or he's going to figure out that he needs help. It's one of the two. But we've done everything that we can do. Life goes on. You just can't chase somebody that's not willing to listen. The story is not going to change. It's the same. And so these were pretty difficult words for, for Mr. Manziel to say. I mean, I, I can't imagine how difficult it was for him to say that about his own son, who, whom he loves more than life itself. And uh, Johnny responded by going to Cabo and wearing a Josh Gordon jersey and you know tw uh, putting on Instagram that he had Josh Gordon's back and you know he included a hashtag that said hi dad he doesn't seem to care he doesn't seem to get it and and Johnny on Wednesday before the Andrew Luck news he put out word that he has uh, made a decree to get sober and by you know beginning July 1st July 1st is also the day that Amazon's All or Nothing series about the Arizona Cardinals premieres, which you should absolutely check out. We're going to have Shannon Furman on next week's show to talk about uh, the series, so really excited about that. 
But it looks like Johnny Manziel's taking this all or nothing thing very seriously because he's on July 1st, the same day, taking the title literally and, and I guess giving up, uh, you know, whatever he's got going on in his life. But he was not the only uh, former quarterback who was in the news for a negative reason. Tavares Jackson was arrested late last Friday night on an aggravated assault charge after allegedly pulling a gun on a woman reported to be his wife at a vacation home near Orlando, Florida. Now, so according to this report, Tavares arrived home and he kicked in the upstairs bedroom and he got into a, a verbal fight with his wife, you know, and after which, you know, it escalated. He, uh, he pulled a loaded gun, pointed it at her and said, I'll kill you. Um, and so Tavares' wife was not really having any of that. She was pretty um, pretty in the moment. Tensions were flying high. She was feeling some adrenaline. And she said, well, you better be accurate because you're not on the field. Now, that is a bold move to say to somebody who's holding a pointed gun at your face. And just a terrible story. Um, you know, Tavares likely will not find work in the NFL this season. It's not like he was going to anyway. But with this going on, um, it seems you know, even more unlikely. The NFL is very, very, very firm in their no domestic violence, um, you know, stipulations and rules. And that, that's a really taboo subject for most teams. You saw the Dallas Cowboys and the chance they took on Greg Hardy and the backlash that came as a result of that. So, so that happened. Tavares is a quarterback that he backed up. Russell Wilson debuted a new logo. If you want to go check that out though, that was on Twitter. That was kind of cool. Um, and another quarterback who won't be playing in 2016, Peyton Manning, made some news for uh, not really a bad reason, just not even really for a good reason. He um, he gave an interview and talked about just sort of what his life's been like now as a retiree and how he's enjoying it. And he was asked, you know, who he's going to root for on Sundays because Peyton Manning won't be playing football. And that's a really weird thing for him. And Peyton said that he's looking forward to this year and being a fan of a lot of teams. Peyton's, you know, he's a friendly guy. He's, you know, he's got a good attitude and he's fun, you know, caring dude. And obviously Peyton's going to be rooting for his little brother, Eli, who is a member of the New York Giants. He's going to be pulling for the Denver Broncos, the world champions, his former team, and the Indianapolis Colts who have his, I don't even want to say heir apparent. We don't have to refer to Andrew Luck as the heir apparent now. He is the heir. He's going to be, you know, pulling for the Indianapolis Colts. He'll also be pulling for Adam Gase, his former offensive coordinator in Denver, who went to Chicago and is now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Peyton also said he'd be pulling for Jim Caldwell, his former head coach that took the Indianapolis Colts to Super Bowl 44 that they lost to the New Orleans Saints. Jim Caldwell, as you know, is the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And Peyton also said he's pulling for Brock Osweiler. He said he's got a lot of faith in him, that he's going to be really good this year. So good for Peyton. I'm proud of him for being a mature adult about all this. Um, But he's rooting for a lot of teams, and that's just a, a crazy deal. Somebody who Peyton probably is not rooting for, though, is the Seattle Seahawks because they are the team that beat him in Super Bowl 48. And one of their members is a richer man now, along with Andrew Luck, Doug Baldwin, and the Seahawks reached a four-year extension. Uh, it's worth $46 million. Baldwin gets $24.25 million in guarantees. Um, you know, Doug Baldwin is kind of an angry dude and, and somebody who, who likes to wear his emotions on his sleeve and somebody who uses you know, the negative things said about him is motivation and good for Doug, I guess. He's probably the most elite receiver that Russell Wilson's had in his career up until this point, even with his new logo and everything. So good for them. The Seahawks though, um, you know, haven't been to a Super Bowl in two years, obviously losing Super Bowl 41. I'm sorry, 49. Wow. 41. That's a, a weird, uh, weird slip, but 
the uh, Seattle Seahawks lost Super Bowl 49 to the New England Patriots. And we have one of the biggest New England Patriots fans in the world, Christopher Brockman, coming on the show right now. And I'm really excited. Like I said, one of the producers of the Rich Eisen Show and uh, just a really great, kind, humble person um, and really appreciative that he took the time to to call in and have a great conversation. And like I said, this is a two-part interview. So this is part one and part two will post later this week. So let's go ahead and get to it. Chris Brockman on the RJO Show. Cowboys Nation, I know that you're checking out InsideTheStar.com every day, and I thank you for that. You know what else you need to do? You need to like us on Facebook. You need to follow us on Twitter, at InsideTheStarDC or at Cowboys Nation. You can check out our pictures on Instagram. You can check out our stories on Snapchat. Or you can even hang out with us on Google+. We're everywhere, and we want you to join us because the 2016 season is going to be a great ride, and we all want to be on it together. Come hang out with us on any social media platform or at InsideTheStar.com. Today, let's hang out with Chris Brockman on this episode of the RJO Show. Now, you know today's guest is one of the television producers of The Rich Eisen Show, which is something that I've been a fan of stretching all the way back to his podcast. Before joining the show, today's guest was a reporter, photographer, and editor extraordinaire for the Journal Tribune in Biddeford, Maine, where he was the 2009 Maine Press Association Sports Columnist of the Year. After that, he spent five years at NFL Network, where he met up with Rich, worked on NFL Game Day Morning, NFL Total Access, Game Changers, and tons of other great content. Today, he joins the RJO Show. Welcome, Chris Brockman. What's going on, Brockman? Wow, that is uh, quite the introduction, RJ. Much appreciated. And it actually sounds like I wrote it uh, that you just lifted off the internet. So uh, I like it. It sounds great. Yes. Well, some, some oh, of I, did, your... I, did, I did all of those things. I can't <laughs> believe I did all of those things. And uh, it seems like another life, lifetime ago. Well, admittedly, some of the things, you know, uh, on your resume are from your profile on, on the Rich Eisen <laughs> Show website and things like that. But part of this, I love really, it. you know, I uh, I know this is weird, but you and I, we're, we're kind of best friends. And I know you don't know that because I, I'm i a big, uh, you know, podcast and show fan. We've been buds for a long time, Chris. I don't know if you knew that. You did, that, now did you win a contest of ours and come on the show? I um I actually in terms of you know podcast days I've won one of the first punters or people two shirts. Uh, yes. Which is okay. That's some, what I thought. Yeah, something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And um, I also had a question that you guys had on probably my favorite episode of of the podcast, which uh, which was with Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. And okay. um, I, I asked. Um, you know, the if you remember the final song in the final scene where Walt playing there was that song Baby Blue. And right. um, I thought that that was just a brilliant choice by Vince just because of the mess and everything involved. And um, so sure. I, rem- I remember I uh, I was at a Cowboys-Packers game listening to that. It was the night before, and I was in my hotel room just literally in the dark listening, and I was thrilled when you guys asked him the question. So kudos to you. Yeah, Vince Gilligan, one of our favorite, favorite guests on the podcast and the new show guy is admittedly not a sports fan, not like we are to any stretch of the imagination, but comes on is such a good sport about coming on our show and talking and basically just uh, humoring us while we fanboy out 
about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He is the greatest of all time. No, I mean, you guys, I know it's hard for you to pick the greatest of all time because you've had an incredible lineup of guests. Today, we're talking on Tuesday, you had a good friend of, of Mr. Gilligan and Brian Cranston on the Rich Eisen Show, and, uh, and that was a good time. Who's, your, who's one of your other all-time favorite guests you guys have had, whether on the podcast or on the show? Well, I mean, you, met, uh, you, you kind of hinted at it. Uh, Brian Cranston was on today's show. And, look, I came to Breaking Bad late. Uh, these guys would talk about episodes of the final season on the old podcast, and I had to leave the room because I didn't want to get spoiled because I knew eventually I was going to watch it. So that forced me to binge watch all of the five, six seasons of Breaking Bad in about three weeks. I was wow. having dreams of, of meth and uh, all the crazy things that were happening to Walt and Jesse. But uh, he was on today to talk about his new movie, The Infiltrator, which comes out next month. And it's awesome because, like, like I said about Vince, we just we basically just fanboy. You know, he was Tim Watley on Seinfeld, uh, Malcolm in the Middle. He's just, you know, his movie career has blown up. And so he was amazing. Look, we've had – we've been really lucky, all the great guests. We've had some in. Uh, Mike Tyson has come on. Uh, Christopher McDonald, who plays Shooter McGavin, we went nuts about. Stone Cold Steve Austin was one of our favorites. And, of course, Snoop Dogg, anytime he comes in, look, 12-year-old me is just, like, freaking out that he gets a chance to hang out with Snoop Dogg for a few minutes. So we're, we're lucky. We have a lot of great guests, and we have a, we have a great time doing it. Well, it is a, a great program and, uh, you know, 100% my favorite sports talk show. And like I said, it's the very Appreciate first podcast it. I ever listened to. So, you know, we go back a long way. Now, you said 12-year-old you, and I want to get into this here. You know, who is Chris Brockman? 12-year-old you is, is uh, coming from the East Coast. You know, what, what went into Chris Brockman's story? Obviously, you've uh, got some some you know, big-time things on your resume in terms of what you did in Maine. But what what led you to the West Coast? How did it all happen? Oh, man. How much time do we have on this, RJ? Look, um, I'm a military kid. I'm a, I'm a son of a Coast Guard uh, veteran. And so that meant every few years my life got uprooted. So born in Pennsylvania and then – two and a half years old, moved to Alaska. And then when I'm six years old, we moved to Virginia. And then I'm nine years old and we moved back to Alaska. And then I'm 12 years old and we moved to Maine. And then 17 years old, I go to college. And then 22 years old, I moved back to Maine. And then just kind of by happenstance, I always wanted to be in sports media. I knew it since I was eight years old and I used to watch uh, Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick on SportsCenter, Chris Berman on SportsCenter uh, doing uh, NFL highlights. I knew that's what I wanted my life to be. Uh, look, I played sports growing up. Uh, I was a letterman in high school, football, basketball, baseball. But, come on, I'm uh, barely six feet tall, so I wasn't going to go to the NFL. I wasn't going to play in the NBA. But the next, the next best thing was to go to – the best broadcast journalism school in the nation, Syracuse University, and following the footsteps of Bob Costas and Ted Koppel and Sean McDonough and Marv Albert, and the list goes on and on. So, you know, from there, I went back to Maine. I, I graduated. I went back home. And uh, what they don't tell you in college is that you're not going to get a job. 
They're, <laughs> they do a good they do a good job of leaving that fact out. So you know it was a struggle uh, my first summer out of sending resume tapes all over the nation to 50, you know 50 or so stations uh, looking for that first that first break, that first gig in the business. And it was really difficult. I, I didn't hear back from a lot of places, and others were thanks but no thanks. A uh, phone interview at an independent station in Georgia I thought was going to lead to somewhere. I would have made like $16,000 a year that year in, in 2002. It would have been a nightmare. Instead, I yeah. made even less working at my high school. I went back, like my football coach um, asked me if I was going to be around in the fall. It looked like I was going to. So I decided to kind of substitute teach and coach uh, wide receivers on the high school football team, which was a great, it was a great year. I had a lot of fun. I helped out coaching freshman basketball. Um, I would throw batting practice for the baseball team a couple days a week. So I, I kind of stayed active around my high school and then around uh, my community in Maine where I grew up or went to high school. And, um, after that, I kind of saw an ad in the local newspaper, and uh, they were looking for a part-time guy to, like, answer the phone and compose, you know, local high school and small college box scores and write up little tiny briefs of, of some of the games. And so I took that, uh, working part-time at night, and then I would work overnight at Target just to kind of pay all my bills because the money ran out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did I did that for about seven months, and then some new management took over at the Journal Tribune, and they offered me a full time gig, and so I took that. And then uh, my sports media career uh, finally had a break, and then was off and running. And I got very lucky uh, to work with some good people there. Uh, we were a small staff, but uh, they kind of taught me uh, the ropes because I, I really didn't know print journalism at all. You know, I went to school for TV. I did four years of college TV. And so that was kind of the world I was, um, you know, brought up and groomed in. And um, a couple guys, John Nash and Dan Hickling, kind of helped me uh, find my voice and figure out who I was as a writer and how to craft a story. And I got involved in photography because we uh, had some cuts. And so I had to take my own photographs of the story I was covering. So I was at a baseball game or a football game or a wrestling match or field hockey, what have you. I would have to take my own photos while taking notes, while thinking about questions I'm going to ask the kids and the coaches after the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really kind of a two-man band we had there. And uh, uh, we had a good time, and I learned a lot. And then an opportunity came up at the NFL Network. I went to college with a couple of friends of mine who worked there. And they were able to pass my name along, and uh, I kind of took a leap of faith on a free freelance position, kind of restarted my career to get involved in television, and uh, I came out here, drove 3,400 miles in 2009 from Maine to Los Angeles, about as far away from each other as you can get, and uh, then kind of just got lucky to get hooked up with Rich through the through the podcast, and we kind of developed, and and uh, that morphed into the show that we have now. I know that was a really, really long answer, but uh, that's kind of that's how I got from Pennsylvania to, to Los Angeles. No, I think that's really interesting. I mean, as a, you know, a listener and, and a watcher of the show, obviously, you know, I knew some of those things. I know about 
your um, your athletic prowess. I know you are proud of your jump shot, which you also talk about in your bio. I'm um, very proud of my jump shot. Uh, I still have the school record at my high school for three-pointers made in a season, 45, and three-pointers made in a single game, that's seven. Uh, I'm, I check, look, like Al Bundy, uh, I'm living in the past, so I'm very proud to say that 18 years have passed and that record still stands. Do you think you could do it again if you had to hit seven threes in one game? Yeah, of course. I played basketball last night. Uh, my knee my knee is a little sore, but uh, the jump shot's still as good as it's ever been. Uh, so if anyone out there wants to challenge me, I'll take on all comers. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, Steph would be willing to do that. Maybe not these days. Maybe <laughs> a couple weeks to, to get over everything. Okay, but... Steph, Steph, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson might be the only ones that could take me out right now. That seems fair. I think we're, you know, that's I a, think a that's fair. fair. We yeah. can we can agree on that compromise that Steph Curry and Clay could take me out. I'm cool with that. So, um, you know, <laughs> I, NBA free agency is coming up, so I know we'll be on the lookout to see what you had. But that was yeah. a really interesting story. I'm always story. adorable. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, I remember when, uh, right before the show happened, I remember you guys were a little bit secretive about it on the podcast, and you would, you would sort of hint something big's coming. We can't really talk about it right now. You, right. you talked about you went to college at Syracuse, home of the great jump shots, obviously, um, you know, to get into television. What was that like for you when, when it sort of appeared that all those stars were lining up and when it did happen? You know, I'm sure that, you know, it, I think any human would go through a sense of, is it really going to happen? Is it not? And, and the moment the cameras first flipped on in October of 2014, how exciting was that for you personally? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. You know, I uh, all pretty much my whole life I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to get paid to talk about sports. Uh, and to have it finally happen, it was a long road. You know, it was uh, 10 years that I first started out uh, at the newspaper answering phone calls. I still remember my first night. It was December 7th, uh, 2003. It was my first day at the Journal Tribune, and um, you know my last day was, uh, was July 30th, 2009. So I, I had a great run there and five years at NFL Network as well. And uh, you know, just for just for me, Rich and, and Chris, uh personally, we put a lot of effort and a lot of manpower and a lot of hard work uh into creating the podcast and uh developing it and evolving it over the years. And it was nice that uh someone else was kind of recognizing our hard work and appreciating what we did and having confidence in us to take it to the daily level take it to three hours, uh, and take it to the people, really really take it national. And so uh, that first day was was pretty satisfying. And uh, I'm not sure we ever thought it was actually going to happen. There were a lot of close calls uh, on both sides, close calls to it happening, close calls to it not happening. And so when it finally did, um, it was a nice moment uh, for three of us. Uh, and Mike Del Tufo who came with us and did a lot of work on the podcast as well. Uh, it was a nice moment for us, and it was something we were really proud of. And and then we, it just made us realize, you know, the work the work never ends. You know, we had to keep working every single day, just like we are now, uh, to make the show better, to make it bigger, uh, to to get more listeners and and let people know kind of what we're doing. For sure. Well, congratulations and continued success. And I was. Why I really wanted to have you on, like like I said, you know, you and I, we're friends now. You can't you can't take it back, Chris. And 
You do get paid to talk about. I'll never take it back. (laughs) Well, you do get paid to talk back. Good. So you do get paid to talk about sports on television. We're here. This is the dream, and I want to talk about something with you. As a son of New England, you are one of the proudest Patriots fans there is. I um I know that you were at the game where Brady put the moves on Brian Urlacher a few years. I was at that game. Nice work. Good listening. Good memory. Well, hey, that's what I do. And um, I wanted to talk to you about your boy, Tommy, and um, and deflake it. I don't want to go into it. I think you and I both agree that the whole situation is garbage, although it is fascinating, honestly, that it's still a thing. I mean, it's garbage, but it, it's it's interesting. Now, the city of Boston, I've, I've never been to the East Coast, but I have seen the town and the, the departed, so I think I know what I'm talking about. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> You're qualified. You're qualified. Yeah. And it sort of has this, us against the world mentality. It seems like the the Boston disposition, uh, whether that comes to sports or a, a street brawl or, or whatever other cliche. So the New England Patriots are mired in controversy. You and I both know that. You love them anyway. I love them anyway. We both respect them. Do you think that that's just kind of always going to be the case? Is, you know, they're going to go hand in hand with one another, just that's who they are? And if that's true, is the fact that New Englanders accept that sort of an indication that that's who the city really is. It's who cares? We've got it. We're the best. Everybody else, you can just deal with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not that we accept it. It's who we are as people. I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think I'm the best driver on the road right now in Los Angeles. Like, yeah. I think I'm the best shooter on the basketball court. Uh, I'm the best eater. If we go out to pizza, yeah, I'll eat one more slice than you. I'll eat one more wing than you. Uh, I'm the best darts player. I, I, I curse the best. I, uh, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. It, it's just a mentality, always feeling like we're underdogs, even though, you know, the Patriots have the best coach ever, the best player ever. They're always a favorite to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's it just kind of, it's kind of ingrained, you know, in our, in our, the fiber of our being that, that's who we are, and if you don't like it, tough. You know, we're not changing for anyone. And yeah. just the fact that this BS deflategate is still going on, I mean, I'm not going to go all Ben Affleck on you, RJ, <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's BS, kind of like you said, and everyone knows it. And the fact that the league is still, still going in and uh, won't acknowledge that fact that everyone else has, it's just completely ridiculous to me you brought up ben affleck and obviously you're talking about his his rant on the first episode of bill simmons show last week if you had had yeah. to pick a superhero because ben affleck obviously played batman in one of the worst superhero movies of all time if you had to pick a superhero who would go to the defense of tom brady would it have been batman or would it have been someone else <laughs> <laughs> i mean tom brady himself is man so Here's what I don't understand, just to get off of that for a second. Why are Superman and Batman fighting each other again? I never understood that. I didn't see that movie. I'm not going to see that movie. But, like, and it's the same thing with the with the the, the other one. Uh, the Civil Captain War. Yeah. yeah, Captain America and Iron Man. Aren't they friends? Why are they fighting? I don't understand that. Chris, you know, we're, we're friends. We've established that, and i got a lot of respect for you. But you know who has ranted this exact same thing to me? My mom, who's an avid listener. Don't get me wrong, but you and my mom are going hand-in-hand hand, um, down this road. 
I agree. What and what? What did you tell her? What was your explanation? Because I don't get it. Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not a comic book reader, but I'm I'm an internet user, obviously, and so I I just know what Twitter tells me, and you know that's you know there's rise and fall in every story. So how do the you know how do the the superheroes realize that we need one another? Oh, we fight, and oh no, you know we we have a big bad dark enemy. Now we have to unite and save the world. Um, but right. I mean. It's it's weird, I, but I don't know. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, Tom Brady himself is a superhero and is Superman. Just look at the way he bounced back from the devastating knee injury uh, in 2008 to win MVP and win another Super Bowl. Uh, so Tom Brady is his own superhero. He doesn't need any superhero to come to his defense. Well, I'm cool with that. I, I was, thought you were going to go Captain America maybe, like the patriot element of everything, but – I mean, hey, that's not bad. And and the real Captain America, Chris Evans, is a huge Patriots fan. That's true. I will say, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, and I'm kind of jealous of the celeb Patriots fans because they're the best. Cowboys Nation, are you looking for something to do on Saturday, July 2nd? Well, look no further than your own TV and NFL Network. The NFL Network is going to be presenting an America's Team Marathon. They're going to be showing all kinds of great documentaries and films regarding the Dallas Cowboys, and I know that's something that you want to watch. You can check out InsideTheStar.com where I broke down every single show that they're going to be airing that day and gave you a breakdown on it and a star rating to let you know whether it was something you had to watch right now, record on your DVR and watch it later, or maybe something that you could just have on in the background while you're taking care of some chores. Check out that post on InsideTheStar.com and be sure to watch on Saturday, July 2nd, and get you some Dallas Cowboys knowledge. Let's get back to this episode of the RJO Show. Welcome back to the RJO Show. Your humble host, RJO Choa here. And man, I love this song. It reminds me of Rush Hour 2 and Chris Tucker doing his thing in the Chinese bar and Jackie Chan's running around trying to save the day or whatever. What a great scene. What a great movie. And what a great conversation that we are in the middle of with Chris Brockman, one of the producers on the Rich Eisen Show. Thank you to Chris for coming by the RJO Show and chatting. And I promise you the second half of the conversation is even more interesting. This part was, was just really fascinating to hear Chris's journey and where he's come from and his stance on the New England Patriots and and I appreciated him being so colorful and offering his full you know honest non-disclosure opinion and things we're going to get into in part two a few years back on the Rich Eisen podcast before it was a show Chris Brockman pretty much taunted Michael Crabtree and it was a really fun um, thing to listen to and he elaborates on that we talk some Game of Thrones we talk about the Olympics and whether everyone that roots for their country is a bandwagon fan or not and I promise you're not going to want to miss that that episode will be posted on Friday 
July 1st. We're kicking off July with an episode of the RJO Show. Next week, we're going to have Shannon Furman, one of the producers and directors of NFL Films, on to talk about All or Nothing, the new Amazon series about the 2015 Arizona Cardinals. If you have any questions watching the, the show over the weekend, uh, we'll be available beginning July 1st. You can you know tweet them to me at RJOchoa, or you can email me rj at rjochoashow.com, and I'll be sure to pass those along to Shannon. But for now, let's tie a bow on this episode um, with some NFL news, and we're going to start with some somber news. Um, we got started on on Tuesday, June 28th, um, with just some horrible news. Um, you know, on a non-NFL note, Pat Summit, the longtime women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee, died. Um, and man, I mean, she uh, she was just so impactful to the game of, of basketball at the collegiate level. And I don't even want to want to just necessarily isolate it to her being impactful in women's basketball. She was impactful to college basketball, regardless of gender, and um, really did a lot for that cause. And, um, you know, she'd been battling Alzheimer's for the last few years. If you remember, she was the recipient of the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage at the ESPYs a while back, and Peyton Manning introduced her. And goodness, it was one of the more emotional speeches I've ever seen in my life. Peyton, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier um, but the dude can uh, the dude can talk, and um, so we will miss Pat Summit in the NFL world. Buddy Ryan, uh, one of the more you know, you talk about colorful people. One of the more colorful personalities in NFL history died at the age of 85. And I tweeted this on Tuesday night. You know, eerily poetic how the architect of the 85 Bears, who are without a doubt the greatest defense that the game of football has ever seen. The architect behind the 85 Bears died at the age of 85. Buddy Ryan is also the father to Rob and Rex Ryan, for those of you that were unaware. You know, his, look, you know if we're being honest, his, his biggest accomplishment came as the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. And, you know, he left them after the 85 season. A lot of people actually believe that the 86 Bears were better than the 85 Bears. Um, you know, they, uh, they just didn't win the Super Bowl. The New York Giants did that season. But Buddy Ryan, you know, fought the New York Giants in 1986 as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, where he served through the 1990 season and where he developed just an incredible rivalry with the Dallas Cowboys and with Jimmy Johnson. There's the famous bounty game, the body bag game. Buddy Ryan was relentless in his defense and in his defensive philosophies, obviously creating the 46 defense that his 85 Bears made so famous. And, you know, he was unapologetic, which was really great about Buddy Ryan. I don't think that we could would ever see a coach like him in 2016 because he said what was on his mind. And we do see that a little bit in his son, Rex, but Buddy was unfiltered. He he said exactly how he felt. He he told you you know that he didn't like you, and he went out and he showed no mercy. And that's a, that's a kind of football that we miss a little bit in 2016. And you know, Buddy, um, you know he he that's all he was. That's that's what he he epitomized. I mean, the guy you know got into a fight with Kevin Gilbride uh, when he was the defensive coordinator of the Houston Oilers in 1993. I mean, he's he's um. He will be missed, and um, if you can, you know, we talked about there was, you know, in the, the break after Brockman there, the, the NFL Network America's Team Marathon coming up on Saturday, but if you've got Netflix, I highly encourage you to go check out the 30 for 30 on the 1985 Chicago Bears. I'm, I'm a big fan of sports documentaries. The OJ one was just fascinating. We haven't talked about that that much, by the way, but the 85 Bears 30 for 30 is exquisite, and 
it it honestly, you know, it makes you want to choke up a little bit because it's uh it's got tons of interviews with various members of the eighty five Bears, obviously. Mike Singletary holds Buddy Ryan near and dear to his heart. Um and, you know, for those of you that don't know, when Buddy Ryan was coaching, you know, the Chicago Bears, it, it you know, he was there before Mike Ditka, I'll, I'll say that. And, you know, there was a regime change, a regime change, goodness. And um, you know, the players said we don't want Buddy to go. We believe in Buddy. And they wrote a letter to, to George Hallis, um, the owner of the Chicago Bears, one of the more famous people in NFL history. Um, and they petitioned for Buddy's job. They said, you know, we want Buddy to remain as our defensive coordinator. Whoever the new head coach is that comes in here, we want Buddy. And George Hallis made sure that Buddy Ryan was a part of the staff. He was a part of the gig that, you know, when Mike Ditka got there, and the two of them were kind of co-head coaches. Um, and, you know, at the end of the 30 for 30, if you haven't seen it, um, there's a, a moment where Buddy has written a letter that, that is read to, to his team, similarly to how they wrote a letter on his behalf. And um, the letter, you know, I'll just read it. It's kind of short. And it, again, this this will make you cry in the moment just because, you know, all the, all the bears are reading it, not me. But the letter is from Buddy. It says, to my guys, in 1981, many of you signed a letter to George Hallis that saved my job. Now I'm writing a letter to all of you to say thanks. I wish I could be there to say it in person, but this will have to do. Thank you to the Super Bowl champion 1985 Chicago Bears, the greatest team in NFL history. You gave me the best memories of my coaching life. I'll love every one of you until the day I die. I told you this a long time ago, and it's still true. You guys will always be my heroes. Coach Buddy Ryan. So um, the NFL and the world will miss Buddy Ryan, who is dead at the age of 85. And uh, just more bad news kept pouring in for the NFL. Zerlon Tipton. A 26-year-old former running back for the, for the Indianapolis Colts, and this is just horrible, accidentally shot and killed himself at a car dealership in Roseville, Michigan. And, you know, you say that and you're probably wondering what happened. And um, Zerlon was checking his car into a dealership. I guess he was going to have some work done on it on Tuesday morning, Tuesday the 28th. And uh, he, you know, he brought his vehicle in and he went to the, the back and he pulled out a duffel bag. I, I guess, you know, how they, they make you take your personal belongings out of the car. And within the duffel bag were two guns and one of the guns accidentally went off um, and he accidentally shot himself in the stomach and he ultimately died in the hospital. And that was just horrible news for the NFL. Just a sad day, a dark day uh, for sports everywhere. And um, our prayers are are with the Summit family, the Ryan family, the Tipton family, and um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, they're they're able to get through this tough time. And we are out of time today on the RJO show. It was a shorter episode. We went ahead and broke up the the Chris Brockman interview just because it was so good. It was it was so interesting. Um, I think you can tell that I'm very excited to talk to him and talk about him and the Rich Eisen show. And so again, thanks to him. And and check back in on Friday, July 1st, when we post the fir- uh, the second half of this interview, and um, and get those questions in for Shannon Furman for next week's episode of the RJO show. But for now, I'll leave you. Have a great Wednesday and Thursday, and um, you know if you uh, if you're a Big Brother fan, enjoy the first live eviction. I- I'm so excited the Big Brother's back; it's officially summer once that happens. And um, enjoy your week. We'll talk to you again on Friday for part two of the Chris Brockman interview. Everybody have a good you know middle of the week, a little bit past Hump Day, and as always, go Cowboys. Peace out. <laughs> I wish you
Come on in. 